This week's episode is brought to you by the Communicore Weekly Disney Removal Service. If you've got Disney stuff just laying around, give us a call and we'll give it a good home. Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And I'm very excited because this is our second to last episode of the second season, if, if oh, you've been paying attention, everyone out I'm there. I'm glad you finished that. I thought you were going to say our second to last episode ever. 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 Well, it might be. I mean, maybe we'll do no, one we more and then we'll just quit. Yeah. I mean, you know, because we've made all... 18 billion dollars each I yes mean, obviously yes and by 18 billion you probably mean like 18 cents because yeah. that's about yeah. as much money i have yeah. in my wallet right now I'm, I'm bad with decimal points i'm terrible with decimal points i don't even understand decimal points well i'm good with dewey decimal points well you're a librarian you kind of have to be good with dewey decimal yeah, points true. for for that true. i mean it's kind of a requirement for you isn't it yeah yeah i'm, I'm tested daily oh that's true. are you really that's true yeah, you can almost out any subject, and I'll tell you the Dewey Decimal number. Really? You won't know, but you know right. I can fake it. You could just totally fake it. Oh, totally. If there's any librarians out there who are listening, please let me know when George is lying when I say science fiction. <laughs> so, <laughs> we use fiction for that in oh. our library, so because it, it's it's fiction. I, I don't I don't know libraries. That would be a, the I'm author's sorry. last name in our library. Okay, so. all right, whatever. Show off. Forget it. Nobody's like here a, to, to like listen a, like to a, your like a nonfiction subject heading. I'm done with this game. No, nobody wants to hear the history of library sciences, unless it's like the Disney <laughs> Archive Library. Let's just go into the regular Disney history. It's time for Disney history. The Rocket Rods, one of those rides that I've heard a lot about but have never been on before. But uh, they actually open on May 22nd, 1998, as part of the New Tomorrowland at Disneyland. And they were a new high-speed attraction that ran on the former People Mover track. So riders entered the attraction at the former Circle Vision 360 building, and it's currently the Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters building, uh, at the front of Tomorrowland. And in the first room, they had huge blueprints of all old and current Tomorrowland attractions that were hung on the walls. And along with uh, former Tomorrowland attraction vehicles, which were, uh, they were repainted to look like the bl blueprints themselves. Um, but some of the ride vehicles I had included uh, four people mover cars, two uh, rocket jets, um, a space mountain rocket, and the front of a Disney uh, Mark III Disneyland monorail. And an interesting and little known fact is Rocket Rods was the name of Rod Stewart's first band. Just saying. <laughs> so, you know, the more you know, the better. The more okay, well, you anyway. know. <laughs> oh, we, need, we need that bumper. We do. That drop. Okay, so, so near the end of the room uh, was a video screen that displayed animated segments from various Disney cartoons of the 1950s through the early 70s, uh, which featured what they thought transportation might look like in the future. Uh, all the segments featured radical and somewhat far-fetched concepts of future transportation systems, such as fully automated and auto-guided mobile homes and cars using anti-gravity or magnetic devices to scale walls and objects. 
kind of like Back to the Future 2. Um, yeah, it's almost 2015, so can you scientists get on that already? Yeah, yeah, what are you guys waiting yeah. for already? Jeez. I want, I want, I want my land speeder. Uh, no, you want a hoverboard. I want a hoverboard? Land speeder's Star oh, okay. Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, that's owned by Disney now. Oh, okay. So maybe we're closer to getting that one then, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we'll say. <laughs> anyway, so each of those segments, they, they concluded with a short narrated segment that explained how these technologies were, had evolved into forms of transportation used in 1998, uh, the year that the attraction opened, or what they thought we would use them for in the years to come. And the short narrations, they kind of brought insight to the animated segments and explained to guests that uh, in the world of creativity, there's no end to possibilities, which was actually the theme of the Rocket Rods. So the next room of the queue was the nine-screen Circle Vision Theater, where guests watch old transportation videos, and uh, including excerpts from the Circle Vision film America the Beautiful, uh, The Timekeeper, and even a video featuring the evolution of General Motors cars to a futuristic version of the Steppenwolf hit born to be wild and yes jeff told me i was not allowed to sing yep. uh and it was no and they that that version was actually arranged and recorded by former oingo boingo member steve bartek guests then continued down the transit tunnel which was formerly a backstage area where guests passed proposals for extending the rocket rod system all the way to the john wayne airport and other destinations which would have been awesome that would be really new uh, really cool provided that they I mean, was there was there a room enough for luggage though on those uh, things uh, who knows who knows okay just but, would have been a very straight line yeah yeah you you can't you can't really bank those those turns as we no. will find out later um so the the transit tunnel it actually led to a series of stairs that circled around the inside of the tower that held the rocket rod's platform and the observatron which is the former rocket jets attraction and at the top of the stairs, guests would find themselves on the elevated rocket rod station in the center of Tomorrowland. And then they would board a five-seat rocket rod before moving forward to a staging area similar to that of drag racing. And they, they kind of built the anticipation as with the lights when they changed from red to yellow to green. And then the vehicle <laughs> zoomed away down a straightaway when it worked uh, toward the entrance of Tomorrowland while performing a small wheelie. A small wheelie. Okay, so the rocket rods then took guests through the Star Tours building, then into a tunnel. And in the tunnel, riders experienced the effect of nearly colliding with an oncoming rocket rod. But in reality, it's only the vehicle's reflection in a mirror. Fooled you. One of other attractions they've used that on test track. Um, the rocket rod took guests through Space Mountain, offering a very brief view of that attraction. And then the vehicle took riders back outside again, and then into the Carousel Theater, home of interventions. Uh, yeah, I can't I just imagine all these different crashes going on. So after going through a semicircular trip through interventions, the rocket rod took riders through a series of turns and dips above Autopia and the former submarine voyage. Then, whew, the rod passed right next to the Disneyland monorail station before entering the rocket rod's queue building. The vehicle then travels back up the straightaway to the station. Sounds thrilling, didn't it? <laughs> well, guess what? It wasn't. <laughs> so Not at all. No. The Rocket Rods, uh, they actually closed September 2000 for a refurbishment. I'm using air, air quotes, but you can't see them. A refurbishment <laughs> that was meant to last until the spring 2001. But while on this refurbishment, no work was ever seen being done in the attraction. And then in April 2001, the uh, Los Angeles Times and the Orange County Register reported that the Rocket Rods would never reopen again because they were terrible. 
Um, <laughs> there, there's a lot of reasons why they close initially. So, it, you know, the Rocket Rods, they completed the course of the formerly 16 minute long people mover section, uh, and they did it in about three minutes. And the support structure and track originally built for the people mover was not meant to be used for such a high speed attraction, and it really began to weaken a little bit. And another reason is that the Rocket Rods, you know, their budget really wasn't a lot. So they didn't have enough money to bank the curves of the track, so the Rocket Rods had to slow down a lot in order to maneuver the turns, uh, and therefore not really being as thrilling as you thought they were going to be. And the constant changes in the speed, they really caused the uh, the vehicles onboard computer systems to fail quite a bit, and it shut down the attraction. Um, and there were multiple mechanical failures too, and there was a, I think it was a shoe break or something once that was launched halfway across Tomorrowland when it broke, and thankfully no one was injured or killed, but um, in the reality, the attraction itself, it just broke down at least once a day, maybe ten. Exactly. It was, it was for such a short time period, I didn't get to experience it, but my wife did. And all she remembers is waiting in the uh, show building for at least, or in the queue building for at least two hours at one point while they kept starting it and stopping it. But anyway, so <clears throat> the rocket rods were scrapped after the closure. One rocket rod survived and was placed in front of the Hollywood and Dine restaurant at Disney California Adventure, but it only remained there for a few months and it, it was gone by 2002. And after the closure of the rocket rods, people really hoped that the people mover would be reinstalled. Rumors still circulate today, usually stating that the People Mover will return, possibly a copy of the still-running Magic Kingdom version of the Tomorrowland Transit Authority. The equipment used for the People Mover only still exists on the Rocket Rod track in some places, which will require much of the equipment to be reinstalled again. I'm okay with that, though. If they want to build that up again, they oh, should go right too. ahead. I'm assuming they'd have to do a lot of OSHA stuff, though. More than likely. Well. They should do it, though, because I, I, want, I want the People Mover here. Do yeah, it. I mean, we'll, we'll all sponsor it. Hey, let's start a Kickstarter right now. If we each put in our 18 cents, that's 36. We're good. Boom. Halfway there. He's a nerd. He's a geek. Because we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his beat. It's George's Book of the Week. Okay, so this week's book is The Vault of Walt, Volume 2. More unofficial, unauthorized, uncensored Disney stories never told by... Jim Corcus, released in 2013, and it has 236 pages. Uh, Jim Corcus is probably a very familiar name to most Disney fans. He wrote for a long time under the pen name of Wade Sampson over at Mouse Planet, and, you know, really uh, told a lot of Disney stories that had never seen the light of day. I mean, he'd been researching Disney history since he was like five or six. And off told tales, he'd open the phone book, find the animators, and call them and ask them questions. Not that there was a creepy stalker thing. No, no, no. Never, never, never. So so what, what we've got with this book is... Um, <sighs> okay, so let me, let, me, let me stop the full review here. Jeff and I talked about how to look at this book because it's a bunch of tales, uh, not quite 30, that Jim Corcus tells. And it's sort of like deja vu. It's like, wait a minute, I've read this somewhere before. Haven't I? I think so. Um, I know that uh, Jeff spent some time, once we read, the, read, read through the stories, actually looking at some of the originality of the stories, I guess we could say. And uh, why don't you take over this section? Sure. Yeah, 
Um, so. <laughs> yeah. So, like George said, you know, there's about 28 stories or so. I think it's just, it's, yeah. it's definitely under 30. I think it's 28. Um, okay. My issue isn't with the content itself. Um, like George said, Jim has proven himself to be this fantastic Disney historian over many, many years, and he really is an invaluable resource for many of us. I mean, he's helped us out a couple of times, too. Yes, and yes, he has. He knows his material. He knows it well. Nobody's taking that away from him. Um, my issue with the book is that the content is just rehashed material that he's written over the years. Um, now, the original Vault of Wall with the light blue teal cover, whatever color it is, um, <laughs> it, it's no longer in print, but when it came out, it was fantastic. It was great. We all ate it up, and it was great. Yep. Um, but now, Theme Park Press bought the rights to the original book, and then they re-released it in a new form with a red cover. And some of the stories in the original volume made it, um, but most of them did not. And then this volume, volume two, with the yellow cover, has about um, half full of stories from the original teal-covered volume. And on top of that, all but two of the stories in the book are columns that Jim has written for a Mouse Planet over the years. Um, and they're just lifted directly from the columns and put into the book with what seems uh, little to no editing sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know... You know us, and especially you know George too. We're all for Disney history books, especially ones that tell these anecdotal tales that you know are are just great. But when your book is built on the cover as Disney stories never told, um, you shouldn't have 95% of the book be stories that have been told before. Especially when that 95% of the stories can be found for free on the internet un under the name of the author. Um, again. <laughs> yes. You know, the content is really good, but it just, the book itself just seems like a cheap cash grab to me, and it, it uh, I guess it'll confuse people into spending money for content they already have or they already read before. Um, I, you know, I understand the argument can be made that re-releasing these new volumes of Walt and Walt are good because the original version is no longer available, but um, the folks that own the original version um, and loyal readers of Jim's column, they'll kind of find themselves having a major case of deja vu when reading, uh, kind of like I did. Yeah, I mean, the stories are all enjoyable, and they were enjoyable the first time that I read them, you know, over the period of the past five, six, or seven years, or longer than that. And I can't fault, you know, Jim and Theme Park Press for re-releasing these. I'm, 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 I'm glad they did, because the book feels like a more permanent, you know, showcase for these stories. Another story has, I mean, these are all anecdotes. Nowhere in the book does Jim say where he got a lot of these stories. He doesn't have anything to back them up. And that does bother me a little bit coming from the Disney historian side. I'd like to be able to track his stories back, you know, to see where he came from. And in some cases, we know the material was lifted from other places without giving them credit at all, which is, you know, bothers me as a librarian and as a writer, for one thing. I mean, it's, I think what Jeff got down to the nitty gritty is, is we, we like it. We like Jim. He's a great storyteller. He's a great writer. He knows a lot of Disney history. But we really wish they wouldn't have marketed this book as new stories or more stories. Because Vault of Walt Volume 2 really speaks it's going to have more. So if you already own the first one, you really don't need to pick this one up. But if you're a fan of Jim uh, and you like his stories, his folksy homespun stories, uh, yeah, go ahead and pick this one up. You might enjoy it. And this is The Vault of Walt Volume 2 by Jim Corcus. What we liked, what we didn't like, yay's in the booze! 60-second review! Didn't it? Didn't it? 
George, no. No. What? Especially if you're going to sing it terribly. No. I thought we were doing the whole Lone Rain, the William Tell Overture. No, we're not going to do that. I don't know how many times I'm going to tell you about singing, but especially no singing on the podcast. I know that wasn't it's even on singing. I was, I was okay. Well, anyway, so obviously we're talking about the Lone Ranger, the new Blu-ray release, the big screen adaptation, and uh, uh, I guess we'll, we'll both say we were surprised right off the bat because the press was so bad and the reviews were so scathing that I didn't even go see it in the movie theater. Yeah, you know. Even when I had an opportunity to see it for free, I didn't go see it. Um, what? Free? Well, yeah, well, they were playing, they had like AP screenings at the Muppet Vision Theater in California Adventure when it came out. Uh, and I'm like kicking myself now because I really should have seen it on a big screen like that. You <laughs> would have enjoyed it then. I would have enjoyed it. I would have been one of the supporters of the film that said, hey guys, <laughs> don't listen to the press. This movie's awesome. Because guess what, guys? <laughs> this movie was awesome. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, I, I talked to my brother, of course, the one who does all the music for Communicore Weekly. Well, half the music with Steve. Anyway, and he asked me how it compared to John Carpenter because you know both of them got John slammed. Carter. John, John, Carpenter John Carpenter is a horror yeah, well, director. John Carpenter is a horror director. <laughs> yes, thank you. I think I'd watch something scary over the weekend. So, uh, John Carter. Anyway, uh, and I and at first my my initial thought was it was like a toss up. You know, I, I think the Lone Ranger was a better film than John Carter because it was so much easier to connect with, uh, it was memorable. There's a cultural touchstone for us with the Lone Ranger. Um, but you know, I told him, I said, this is a great popcorn flick. And I've heard that term bounced around so much in reviews for the Lone Ranger, and especially comments on our Mice Chat review. Um, I, I thought you know, it was beautifully filmed. Uh, the backdrop uh, of Southwest United States was gorgeous and the stunts were awesome. Yeah. I, I agree. They did a great, great job. And I'm admittedly, I'm a Western fan to begin with, so maybe I was predisposed to like this as well. But, I mean, it looked great. The story was pretty straightforward. Um, I, you know, and as much flack as Johnny Depp got in the press for his portrayal of mm -hmm. a Native American, I thought he did a great job yeah. of it. Yeah, he um, did a good job with it. Mm -hmm. I, I, don't, so I don't think he was offensive at all. I think it worked out really, really well. Um, but... I I loved it. I thought the movie was great, and I thought the Blu-ray was great too. There was tons of great stuff on there. Oh yeah, some of the extras. Uh yeah, I mean they had the the making. Or you of. mean just the just the film itself? Well, just the film itself. <laughs> they actually did include extras on this disc. Thank God. Yes, they did. Um, they did. They did. Because well, the the one thing is we did get to see the um, Army Hammer. <laughs> Sorry, I laugh every time. Every time you <laughs> say that name or someone says the name, you laugh. Army Hammer. I just laugh. It's just. See, Stop you it. just did it again. Stop it. Sorry. <laughs> it's just so silly. Um, but he would really Army hammer. my butt, so I'm not going <laughs> to... <laughs> Sorry, this, I'm this done. This review is going to go on and on and Sorry. on. But, you know, he, uh, Mr. Hammer had a... Uh, MC? Uh, a, yeah, you know, he just... I would have been like, hi, I'm, I'm MC Hammer. Don't touch this. And um, we had just really gone off the rails yeah, at, we, the, we at this point. So, but he, to get back yeah, on the rails really is a good, train in the movie. Yeah, he had a good making of it, uh, where they talked about his his adventures in the Southwest, as well as going to. Did they call it cowboy school? I think it's it was cowboy went, school. I think they call it where they learned how to ride and rope and shoot. And he said the funnest thing was carrying around a gun and flipping it out and showing people. And I was like, okay, fun. But but so anyway, back to the film. We <laughs> we loved it. I think I really enjoyed it. I won't say I loved it. I, I enjoyed loved it. it. I had a good time. But when when it got to one of the big final scenes, 
and the overture started playing, I, I was just bouncing along with it and enjoying the ride. And I do believe some of the last couple of big major action scenes were well worth it. Oh, yeah. Like that, that well whole last, it. what is it, 20 minutes, half hour, the whole ending was just mm-hmm. like nonstop action. And I, yeah. I thought it was uh, it was wonderful. Um, little side note, though, it, it is a little violent. So if you have kids, little kids, and you don't really want them to see violence, uh, I mean, they don't show really any gore or anything, but there are a lot of people getting shot. There's a lot of yeah. craziness going on. But other than that, I think it's a great film. It's definitely one I'm going to watch again. Um, I know Alex wants to watch it again because he loved it. Yeah. But uh, I, I would mean, say pick it up. Yeah, it surprised me. The 15-year-old loved it. My wife loved it. My 10-year-old left about halfway through, but his friend that spent the weekend with us stayed and watched the whole thing. So I think it's just a matter of if, what they want to watch. But I think, you know, if you get the chance, rent it, pick it up, uh, you know, maybe pick up through Redbox first, even though they're not a sponsor of the show. Not yet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, and pick it up, take a look, try it out, and maybe you'll enjoy it. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. So for those of you who are Star Wars fans out there, in Episode 4, A New Hope, uh, TK-421 was the stormtrooper who wasn't at his post, famously. And uh, this infamous stormtrooper is paid tribute twice in Star Tours in in the Q area. Uh, Once is on a sign above the defective Captain Rex, uh, the original pilot of Star Tours in the original one, and then later on by the droid scanning the luggage. Um, And when he's scanning one of the luggages, a helmet is in the bag, and the droid wonders why TK-421 isn't at his post uh, yet again. So I thought that was a nice nice little nod to the movie, especially before they owned it. Yeah, before they owned it. <laughs> but now they Star own it. You are mine. You are mm-hmm. mine now. So, a different type of owning anyway. So, <laughs> Okay, well, anyways, let's end this before I get into more trouble. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Yes, the second to last for the, for, for the season, <gasps> not the last ever. I just wanted to clarify. Right, you scared me again. I know, that was two in one show. I apologize. Jeez. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Jeez. But while, when I'm done scaring George, be sure to leave us a comment or give us a rating on iTunes. Yeah, and feel free to email us anything you'd like, actually, that you can fit into an email at communicorweekly at gmail.com. And also you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. Yep, and follow us both on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, be sure to call us on the Communicor Weekly Hotline at 424-785-4628. Last week, we released, finally, our voicemail bag mm-hmm. episode, and it was great. So give us a call, and maybe your voicemail can uh, be on the next episode. You never know. Yeah, send, you never know. send us your questions. We will answer any question. may not be the right answer, but we'll answer it. We'll give you an answer for sure. That That is definitely. Yes, we will give you an answer. So anyway, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and girls. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Blue 8.